Tonight we're going to be in Psalms 36. Uh, now this psalm, it says it's a psalm of David, uh, the servant of the Lord. Um, I think this is interesting because the other time this is mentioned was in Psalms 18 as the heading. Uh, and it's been said by many scholars that Psalm 18 was wrote when David was an older man and Psalms 36 actually when he was a younger man. Um, and this would you know, imply that David considered himself a servant of the Lord throughout most of his life, uh, when he's a young man, even into an old man. And it also says something else. When David, you know, he refers himself as a servant, uh, he refers to himself in different ways. I think it's interesting that he always gave God the glory and not the glory to himself. Uh, he didn't, you know, actually refer to himself each time, you know, I'm David the king, and this is what I'm writing, or this is the song, the song that I'm doing. And I think that's pretty interesting. I think that says something about, again, his character. It says something about who he was. Um, but it also uh, kind of puts us into a, you know, his mindset of he didn't rely on his own power. Even though others sung his praises, uh, you never see where really David does that. Uh, you know, he lets others, though he did some, some great things and had some great victories, but he always gave God the credit for that, and I think there's something to be said uh, for that. Uh, but we're going to look here, we're going to start with Psalms uh, uh, 36, 1 through 4. It says, An oracle within my heart concerning the transgressions of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes, when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and to, be, and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Now it starts here by saying an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And there's several, when you go back and look at the original Hebrew uh, with this, there are several, several ways you could actually look at this. Uh, there's some indication that it could be uh, God actually speaking to David within his heart of, of what the wickedness is doing. But it also can be the, the wickedness itself, uh, some say, as far as it, it's almost like sin is describing what sin does to the sinner if that makes any sense. It, it's, it, it's David within himself saying this is what sin does to the sinner. This is how the sinner acts. This is how the wicked person acts. This is how the one that's in iniquity, this is, this is where that leads to. And, um, and I think that's something for us to learn because we can look and we can see even in our own lives as we see in other lives, and sometimes I think it's easier for us, we think, to see it in other people's lives, of course, uh, the, the progression of what uh, iniquity does and what transgression does. But look at a couple things with this. Uh, it says, first, there is no fear of God before his eyes. When it comes to sin, what, what type of sins are there? There's really just two types, isn't there? Yeah, there's sins that you commit. There's sins that you do, but there's also other sins. What are they? Sins 
what you don't do. <laughs> sins of commission and sins of omission. And here you actually see both of that. Look at the progression of what it does, what it causes a person not to do. First, there's no fear of God before his eyes. It says he has ceased to be wise and to do good. He does not abhor evil. These are things that he doesn't do. He's supposed to, is, should a person uh, fear God? Is it wrong not to fear God? Well, of course it is, right? Is it wrong uh, uh, not to do good? The Bible says, him that knoweth do good doeth not. It's what? It's sin. Uh, what about hating or abhorring uh, evil? That's what we're supposed to be doing, isn't it? But if you're in the state in which David is describing here, we're going to get to the point where we don't do that. And that's what uh, uh, Satan actually does, and that's what sin does to us. It, I think it all does come down to one foundational thing is there's no fear of God before their eyes. And I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, and if there's no fear of God before a person's eyes, that means they think they, they convince themselves, or we convince ourselves that there's no accountability, there, there, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing, and, and it just leads you farther and farther down uh, this dark place. But here he says here, he says, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. So a person that, uh, that uh, has no fear of God before them, what does he do? He flatters himself in his own eyes. So God becomes smaller and that person becomes bigger. They start thinking less of God and more of their self. Now, when we think of flattery, what do we usually think of? If somebody's going to flatter you, Mike, people probably don't, but if they do flatter you, Mike, what would they say? Huh? I was, I, I was trying to flatter you there. Yeah. <laughs> I could ask you, Jimmy, you're strong. You probably get flattered all the time. That, that happens to us strongs. But... Uh, we usually think of flattery coming from somebody else, don't we? We usually think of flattery as somebody uh, uh, making us out to be something maybe that we're not. But here the flattery is coming from a person's own eyes. We can actually flatter ourselves. We can think more of ourselves than what we really are. We, we can convince ourselves that we're doing good when we're not. We convince ourselves that we're not doing evil. And I think that's what takes place. We, we get in these situations to where uh, when we don't have any fear of God, we start relying more uh, on ourselves. We start relying on what our abilities are. Then we start justifying things that we're doing, and we start deceiving ourselves. Notice this transgression. He flatters himself in his own eyes. When he finds out his iniquity, uh, when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. In other words... When he finds out his iniquity, if I'm flattering my own self and I find out that there's iniquity, then I'm going to start making excuses for it. I'm going to start thinking, well, you know, my sin's not quite as bad as somebody else's sin. Or we may convince ourselves it's not even a sin at all. Do you think people can do that to get to that point? I think we can. I, I, Oh, yeah. Yeah, because what you do, you get to a point where there's no need in your eyes of repentance. You don't think we're, we don't think we're doing anything wrong. We, we, we think, you know, we start making excuses for these things. Or we think, I mean, there's a lot of things of how we deceive ourselves. One, we can think that it's not a very big sin, or we can think it's not a sin at all. 
Or we think that we can do something to kind of level out that sin. Yeah, I may be doing this, but look at all the good that I do. Uh, th this happens all the time, I think. I think this happens more than anything else. Uh, I think individuals try to justify maybe things that they're doing um, just simply uh, because they think, I give so much at church or... Or, or a volunteer doing this at church. Or I, you know, we think that we, we, we do something here and that counteracts what's going on here. Uh, I had an individual one time and I, I, I didn't understand it at first because I was new at this place. Uh, they'd go out and shake your hand and every time you shook my hand, well, not every time, but several times, they'd be a $100 bill wadded up, you know, folded up just real neatly. Shake your hand, next thing I know, I had a $100 bill in my hand. And first few times, I was like, wow. One, I was like, that must have been a great sermon. You know, but then I'm thinking, well, no, he's not paying for the sermon. But I've realized what he was doing. You know, I'd always give it back to him. You know, I said, no, I don't need that. But I started finding out later through some other things why this, why this was taking place. Um, i tell you how I referred to it. It was hush money. You know, if you, you stay hush on things that you see, then this will keep coming. Uh, well, me being me, uh, you know, I, you don't stray away from things like that. And, and I'm only saying this because sometimes that happens. It can happen when somebody puts it in a plate. It can happen when somebody puts money in a preacher's hand like that. It could happen with some good works. It can happen. We think, okay, if I do this, then it automatically justifies this. And, and it's a shame, but people can think that. And we can think that from the smallest uh, uh, thing up to the, the, the largest thing, whatever we consider a little sin or a big sin. We think we can counteract it with, with something good. I've had people tell me before, you know, uh, I put more money in that plate than anybody in that church. You can't tell me something. You know, what in the world does that have to do with it? Well, I mean, what does that have? I, I can put $500, say, in the plate, but I might not be putting as much as someone putting five dollars. How in the world are you supposed to know? I mean, how how can you know? You don't know what that person can give or don't give. So to me, as far as the amount, has nothing to do with it, and it sure doesn't give you a free pass to do anything. But sometimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking that, can't we? Or do you think I'm far off? I've actually seen it happen. So I, I've seen some things like this firsthand and had some people tell me this. You know, you go, uh, you go talk to some individuals and they say, why are you here talking to me about that? That shouldn't matter. You know how much I give that church? If I leave, I'm taking all my money with me. You know, uh, people think that, okay, as long as I do this, one, I'm going to overlook this and I expect everybody else to. Too. And, and that's what it does. That's what he's saying here. There's no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The word of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He sees to be wise and to do good. So what happens is you lose your ability to be wise the way that God wants us to be wise, and we start being wise in our own eyes because we've raised ourselves up and we've lowered God, then next thing you know, anything and everything can be all right. You know, it all starts with something little. It starts with this, then it starts with this, then it may grow into this. 
And that's how, and that's what he's saying here, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. This is how it happens. This is how it starts. It, it starts first with us deceiving ourselves into thinking that God just leaves us to our own devices. He doesn't intervene whatsoever. He doesn't know what's going on, and we have no fear of God. And then when there's no fear of God, then really what is there? You know, when you take God out of that picture where there's no fear of him, then we can justify anything, can't we? And I think that's what David is talking about. And I think that's what David is doing. He's, he's saying, this is what I'm seeing. It's almost like, remember how it described in the day of Noah? How did it describe man? Yeah, every intent in a man's heart was evil continuously. And, and that's what David is talking about here. That's where a person gets. They get to that point to where, you know, and he even goes on. Notice what he says here. He has ceased to be wise and do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. So it's not a person who just finds himself in iniquity. It's a person who thinks these things up, that comes up with these things to do, that, that would get into a situation instead of resting, would lay in bed thinking of more wicked things to do. He says here he, he devises wickedness on his bed. So instead of going and, and resting, what's more important to that individual is, is devising up new ways into, to be wicked. So it's not just about finding ourselves in it. This person has progressed enough where, where sin has, has engulfed this individual enough to where that's what's on his mind. Continuously, that's what on his mind at night, how to devise new ways of, 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 of doing something. Lie awake at night thinking about it. I told a person one time I was working with, you ever known someone who if they would work as hard at working as they did get out of work, it wouldn't be half as hard on them. You know, they'd get a lot more done. I had an individual I worked with one time and they always wanted to go in and work early more important than anybody else. And it, you think, well, they just want to get... But they wanted that time to see what was going on around at work so they could figure out how they were going to get out of it that day before anybody else got there. And I'm thinking, you, you spend way too much time in, in trying to figure out how to get out of work. And that's exactly what they're talking about, the wicked person here. That, that they just devise ways to, to come up with ways of... Of, of evil and wickedness. That's where this individuals have got. And we may say sometimes, well, a person would never get to that state. Well, of course they can. But they don't, maybe don't start out that way. But it's this progression when it, when, it, when it gets with it. That's why Jesus dealt so much with the heart. People were, were twisting the things that Moses said and they were twisting the law around to mean what they wanted to. And it was all about just the action. And Jesus said, if you take care of it in the heart, it won't ever become an action. You're more worried about the action part. I'm worried about the heart. Because if you take care of the heart, the action is going to take care of itself. And this is what David said. This has got into a person's heart. This is coming out of their heart. This is coming from them. And then that's what the actions that you're going to get. You're going to get to where there's no fear of God. You're going to get to where uh, they cease to be wise and they cease to do good. You're going to get to where... They, they don't abhor evil. Matter of fact, they're running to it. Matter of fact, they're devising new ways and, and inventing ways to try to do it. 
You know, David, I mean, just think about what, what David described. I don't know if this is things that David's seeing around him. Uh, some scholars think that this is what David sees within himself and his own heart because he says here, uh, uh, he says, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. So is, is David talking about himself or is he talking about he, this is what he feels in his heart that he's seeing around him? I think it's what he's seeing around him. I believe. Uh, doesn't mean that David doesn't do, do wrong. We've, we've seen different things where he did. I think this is what David is seeing around him of, of the wicked of what they become because the wicked have come after him quite a bit. So he knows their actions. He knows what they're doing. He's pleaded to God numerous times because of it. But this is what he's seeing around him, I think. And, uh, and I think that's weighing on him. Any thoughts about this? These first, there's a lot of information packed in these first four verses, I think, because you see the progression of things. Jeremy? And I think you're, I think you hit it right. I think it's about the character. And I think that's what it's saying it's starting from. When, when that's who you are in here, that that's what's going to show on the outside. And you're right. It, doesn't, it, it comes from being taught that. It comes from being around that. It comes from, uh, I mean, when you think of, I know in the context that, that Paul was talking about, it, it was a little different. But the principle applies about evil company corrupts good morals. Uh, can you, is it real easy to become what's around you is it easy to do that or is it easier not to yeah well, why do you think that is yeah I, I think I think that's it you don't have to work hard at it you just kind of become that you uh, you're, you're around that it, it, it's easier to uh, uh, not to go against it you know it, it, it's just easier to become part of that then before you know it it's, it, it, it does become who you are, and then you wonder, well, how I got here? And I think the key to it is, you know, the fear of God. And somewhere in that point, we start doing enough to where the fear of God doesn't enter in, because if it did, that wouldn't happen. I mean, it, just think about it. If people truly, and I don't think God wants us to walk around and be afraid of you. I don't think that's the kind of fear that he wants us to have. The Bible said God doesn't put a spirit of fear in us. But we need to also, as it says, that, that fear when it comes to reverence, that, that fear of uh, and awe, that fear of the wrath of God. Um, just like a parent. Uh, sometimes did, do you have fear of your parent in certain situations? I did. Not enough of it or so much wouldn't happen to me, but... Uh, you know, I, I feared uh, my mom in particular, you know, I feared what to say around her depending on what she had in her hand at the time because that, that may have been what you got. You know, there, there has to be a, a, a I mean, uh, really, there has to be a sense of reverence there to where there's respect, but there's also fear for the wrath too. And, and when we lose that, especially when we lose that with God, then then look what we've lost. Look what we're giving up. Because if we truly had the fear of God that we should have, I think every one of us would live a little, live a little bit different, wouldn't we? To some extent. 
I mean, if we truly, truly had that, that fear. The only reason I say that, I think, and it may be just a little change. I, I like to think I've got a fear of God. But there's times when I, when I do something, I think, boy, I knew better than that. Well, then did I really have it? You know, if I really had it, I'd, I'd try harder. Or I'd do, you know, try to uh, be a little bit better at some things. But here, I think that's what he's saying the wicked does, that there's no fear of God before their eyes. And then what happens? When that happens, you start flattering yourself, you start building yourself up, you start lowering God in, in, the, uh, uh, in the mix of it, then what do you do? You're not wise according to Scripture anymore. You, you cease to start doing good because you're not thinking about doing good because you're devising ways in which to do evil. Then you don't hate evil anymore because you're a part of it. And it just gets into that, that progression. That's why when James talks about sin, he talks about the progression of it. He says when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Because when it comes to maturity, that's the only thing it can bring. The wages of sin is death. That, that's what's coming. That's what's at the end of it. We, we can deceive ourselves all that we want. We can tell ourselves all we want. We can be out of sight, out of mind. But the end result is the wages of sin is death. And there's no way to get around that. And we've got to realize that. But that's what the wicked uh, doesn't do. Any other thoughts before we move on? I think we assume too much. Uh, assumption is the production of the stone. Mm-hmm. Because we, we, we do it in the context that we're not going to make any difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times do we say, or I know I've heard other people say when I've talked to them about various doctrinal issues, well, I think, or I feel like in my heart, or do we really think this matters to God? When we start making statements like that, then that's what we've done, isn't it, Bill? We, we, we get, you know, kind of farther away. And when I think that, I start thinking, well, did it really matter to, to God how the ark was moved? Ask Uzzah. You know, what did God do there? Nadab and Bayou, did it really matter what kind of fire they used? Did it really matter if you lied to God or not? Uh, and I, fire did it. I mean, we, we could go through a list of individuals and say, did it matter? Did it really matter to God what we did here? Well, there's evidence that it did matter. Evidence that somebody didn't fear. David at one time, well, different times didn't fear God because what he's the one, in my opinion, got us killed because he didn't carry the ark the way he was supposed to to start with. Then he got mad about it, got defensive about it, but he knew he'd done wrong. He, he knew he didn't do what God said. So that's what happens when we get, when we don't fear God, then we don't fear consequences, and then our actions, we justify our actions, and then there's where we get to. And I think that happens uh, many times in individuals' lives. Look at verses 5 through 6. He says, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgment are as... Uh, are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. It's almost like now David has to do a cleansing of his brain here. <laughs> he, he, he was focused on in these things. He, he was thinking and focusing on the wicked and the wicked action. Now he needs to get, get that out. And now he's going to talk about God. This is a total contrast. This, this psalm is actually in three sections. One about the wickedness. One about the, the goodness and the loving kindness and the mercy of God. And then the last couple of verses is about the prayer for that. But here you see a, a, a staunch contrast in the fact of, okay, this is what the wicked is, and this is what the wicked does, 
But this is how great God is. This is how loving God is. This is how merciful. Notice he says, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountain. It's, it's almost like he's standing on a mountain where he can see all this. He can see the clouds. He's looking up into the heavens. He sees the clouds. He sees the mountains. He sees all the greatness of God. You know, you, you got over here all this wickedness and, and sin and, and, and iniquity and transgression. You've got these things over here, but you've got God. And you've got all his greatness, his creation, his mercy, his loving kindness, his plan, his grace. You've got all of this in contrast to that. And what do you do with it? You've got the wicked, and then you've got what God is. Well, God can do something for the wicked if they would change. Here's how wicked they are, but this is how good God is. This is how loving God is. If man would just see that, then he would understand. You know, we could say the same thing. If we truly, truly believed in how loving God is and how important that grace is and truly understand the love he has for us, would we live differently? You know, if we would live differently because of fear in him, would we live differently if we truly truly believed how much he loved us you know you've got uh and i always view this as a parent-child relationship because you've got all of these things there's a there's things that when i was when we're younger we do in a household because that's the rules right you do this that's when your parents get to say because i said so because it's their house right you know they make the rules this is how it's supposed to be then as you grow up, as you teach your children to make these choices, as you do these things, there, there's things that they do because they realize their parents love them and the respect that they have for their parents. It's not out of obligation, it's out of love. Do you believe there becomes a transition in doing that? You know, you start, there's a lot of things I did as a kid out of obligation because I didn't want to do them. But there's things I think about now that I do, it's out of love and respect. It's not out of obligation. It's not out of, you know, that I have to do this because this is what the rules were. It's because what those rules was and those boundaries that was set and the respect that I had, now I do things that uh, are out of respect and love. And it, 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 that, that determines how you make your choices. And as a Christian, you know, when you become a Christian, you're learning the rules. You're learning what things are. You're, you're, you're learning how God wants you to live. And, and you do that, but as you grow and mature, you realize, I want to do this because this is what I want to do. This, this is what I, 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 I have the privilege to do because I realize how much God loves me, and I realize what the consequences are if I don't. And, and out of respect for both of those things, that's why we do the things we do. That's what free will is, isn't it? We, we, we don't do it because we have to. We do it now because we want to. We know what doctrine is. We know things that God wants us to do. But we're voluntarily doing this because we understand who he is. And that's where David is going here, I think. David is going to this point now. Okay, here's what the wicked's doing. But now we've got to realize who God is and what God does. And it says here, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You're talking about his mercy his faithfulness, his righteousness, his judgment. That's, that's what God is. You know, it, there, there's going to be that judgment, but along with that, 
We see his mercy. We see his righteousness. We see his loving kindness. And in doing that, then we shouldn't fear the judgment part of it, should we? What should we have to fear if we realize the other? Well, you, you think about David. I think David was somebody who tried to spend as much time trying to get to know God all that he could. Don't you think he was close to him? And I think in, in getting as close as he could to him, I think that's where he comes to a better understanding of what God wants and who God is. And I think that helps David, as, as he grows into this, be what he needs to be. And, and that's what we have to do as Christians. I, I can't do these things if I don't know these things about God. If, if I don't spend time in His Word, because that's the only way I'm going to know anything about God is what He reveals to me. I, I can listen to what somebody else says, but that may be their version of it, and that may be their justification of it to do what they want to do. I have to truly know who God is. I have to truly know what He wants from me and, and what He expects and, 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 and how He uh, how he expresses himself to me. But if I don't know that, then I can't live that, right? I, I, I can't know that I'm deceiving myself unless I know what God really wants from me. And I think that comes from, you know, John was talking about this Sunday, I don't know if it was Bible, I can't remember if it was Bible class or, or worship, about, you know, sometimes you change your mind as you grow. You, you think one thing, but then as you study and grow, you start seeing it a different way. And I was thinking when he was uh, talking about that, there's things that, you know, when I first studied the, the, the principle was right, but there's, there's ways in which I was applying it wrong because I, I, I hadn't studied it enough. I hadn't experienced it enough. I hadn't done these things enough. You know, it, and that's one thing I still think about back when we were studying Job is Job's friends were right in most everything they were saying they just applied it wrong and that's what made it wrong that's what made it harmful for Job that's what made it wrong that they had to go make sacrifices for Job because they were applying what they thought was right and the principles of things but they were applying it to Job when they had no idea if it truly applied to him or not and I, I still can't get that out of my mind because Anytime somebody, especially as a minister, but just in conversation, somebody t you talk to someone and they're asking about certain things and situations they're in, you know, am I giving them the right advice? Am I reading it from God's word the way that it applies to this person? Because there's a lot of times that we, we take something and we think everything is just a blanket uh, across the board. Well, God's word is true, and, and what he says to do is, is easy enough to see, but how people get themselves in their life is sometimes hard to make that application and, and see what the right application is. That makes sense? You know, there, there's, there's situations that people find themselves in that, that sometimes I think, okay, I know what it says about this subject. 
I'm just not sure how to apply it in this particular situation. And that takes some thought, that takes some prayer, it takes some more study. But we just think one blanket thing covers, covers the whole shebang. And it doesn't. How it's applied is different. It's just like God's judgment when the Bible you know, tells us that you know, we say we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, that, that's a blanket statement, right? We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but we're each going to give an account for what? What we do in the body, both good and bad. So how that judgment, though it's a blanket, it, it, it's, it's his standard, but how he judges me based on his standard, based on his word, is based on me. It's not based on Mike. It's not based on Jimmy. It's not based on Jeff. It's based on me. It's based on my opportunities, my abilities, how I lived my life, not how somebody else did. So, so you take that, that, that standard, but how it applies to somebody may be totally different. So we, we have to look at it the exact same way. We have to make sure that we're doing that. So we, we take this wicked person, where, where they got, depends on how far they are into this, how God's grace and mercy and how God deals with that and how they have to come back to God. So David here is having this contrast, okay, here's the wicked but here's who God is. And I have to know all that I possibly can so I can rightly apply his word to my life to see what I need to do, see how I need to change, see what needs to be different for me. It may be easy for me to look out and say, well, here's what you need to do. You need to do this, this, and this, and this. But the Bible tells me I may not be able to see that straight because I've got a plank sticking out here, and I can't see straight, so I need to take care of that plank so I can see straight to help somebody else, or I'm going to make some misapplications. And sometimes that's easy to do. Uh, let's look at verse 7 through 9 here. How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wing. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I think David here is, 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 is saying when you look at the wickedness of people, you look at how God is, again, if people would just realize what you offer, they, they would want to come running to you. It's like uh, Jesus said, what did I put on there? Was it Matthew 23? Yeah. Notice he used this same thing with Jerusalem. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and the stones, those who sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you, your children together as hens gathered her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I mean, what, why does a hen gather her chicks under her wings? Why, why does she do that? Protection. protection. Yeah, it's protection to hide for, for shelter, for protection of all the elders around. That's what David is saying here that God does. That's what Jesus said he wanted to do for Jerusalem, but he said you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't come to that protection that I'm willing to give. You wouldn't come for that comfort that, that I'm willing to give. And that's what he's saying here. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Uh, therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wing. They are abundantly satisfied. Everything that we need, God can provide. So whatever the wicked out here is looking for, they're striving for, they're trying to accomplish, they're not going to have anything compared to what God can give. <clears throat> his love is abundant. His protection is abundant. There's, there's nothing greater than that. But again, if we're lowering God, we're flattening ourselves, we're putting ourselves on this pedestal, 
we think we can do that. We think we can provide all that we need. We think we can do it abundantly. We think that we're doing it by ourselves. Just like, as we said many times, all through Psalm, David never does say he does this on his ability. When he talks about being brought up out of the pit, when he talks about defeating enemies, when he talks about all these things, it's God who he says is doing this. He realizes without God, he's nothing. No matter what my strength is, I mean, think about it. We say, well, I got out of this by my own wits. Well, who gave you those wits? <laughs> you know, who, who created that brain that's in here? Who, who, who created, who, you know, who gave you that? Well, I got it through my own strength. Well, who, where'd you get that strength? Well, I did. I'm, I've been working out in the gym. I've got my own strength. Well, who gave you the ability to do it? I mean, you can't back it up far enough to get above, get before God. There's no way to do that. But we try to. We try to convince ourselves that we're doing that. And he says here, it's not possible. You give abundantly more than we can think. Just like, uh, what is Ephesians 3.20. He can do far above for us more than we can ask or think according to the power that's in us. What's that power? Paul says Romans 16 verse 1, or is it 1 verse, no, 16 verse 1, that it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. So as long as I keep his word close to me, that's that power, and then he can do far abundantly more than I could even ask or think, so there's nothing I can possibly do that can compare to that. So whatever I'm searching out here, whatever I'm devising out here, whatever I think I can accomplish on my own and do whatever I want, everything's going to be okay, it's not true. God provides everything over here. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. What covers up sins is the blood of Christ. When I'm out of that, there is no more sacrifice. There is no more protection because I'm the one that stepped away, not God. And I think that's what David uh, is talking about here. Uh, let's look at verses 10 through 12. I don't even think I've got it on my notes here. It says, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me. Let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down and are not able to rise. So you've got here David after he makes this contrast between the wicked and who God is. He, he's got a prayer here of he wants that goodness. He wants what God can provide. He said continue your loving kindness to those who know you. Now I like how he says this. Your loving kindness to those who know you. Because if they don't know God, they don't know about his loving kindness. They don't know about his love. They don't know about his mercy. They don't know about his grace. And ultimately, they don't know about his wrath. So he said, you continue that, who, those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me. And I think that's what it comes down to. That's how a person gets to not fear God. That's how a person gets on this way. It's pride. We start building ourselves up. The next thing you know... We're a lot higher than God. Why do you think the Bible always referred to when we're baptized, when we become a Christian, of putting on Christ? You know what that does? That means you don't see me anymore, you see Christ. That means I'm smaller, he, he's greater. That means the light that I'm letting shine doesn't bring glory to me, it brings glory to God. It's not about me anymore, it's about Him. I give up me, I die to me, I die to self. And I rise to walk in newness of life. That newness of life is putting on Christ, as Colossians tells us, especially what is it, three, that, you, you, that it's, it's about Christ now. It's not about me anymore. 
So when I put on Christ, I want people to see him, not me. Because if it's just about me, then I'm not going to get to where I want to be because I can't get me there. My decisions can't do it. My will can't do it, but it's got to be his will. And until we realize that, uh, then we're going to be in the state uh, that the wicked is in. Any final thoughts about this, this song? See, and the problem was, before he admitted that he, when he, he told him that you're the man, before he did that, he, he knew what was wrong, he just didn't apply it to himself. And that's where this deception comes from. And I think that's why David knows a little something about this. You know, he knows what it's like to deceive yourself. He knows what it's like to, to think something different. But one thing that I always think about is in Psalms 51 when David says, Against you only have I sinned. With all the things that he did, he considered what he did was against God. And he knew what that was was going against what God said. What did he do? He put himself up and put God lower. And that's where the problem is.